The Gist is brought to you by SAP HANA. SAP HANA helps the world's best companies get the answers they need to become more agile, develop new streams of revenue, and predict the future. Run SAP and run simple. Visit sap.com slash reimagine to learn more. And by Realty Shares. With Realty Shares, you can invest in professionally vetted residential and commercial real estate projects across the United States. Browse all the investments at no cost once you're qualified, invest as little as $1,000 per transaction, and diversify your portfolio by visiting realtyshares.com slash gist. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, November 6th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So Ben Carson, we thought he was just a rap master, but it turns out he was, you know, maybe a little bit of a liar, exaggerator type guy. Did he stab a guy? Really weird, right? Really weird moment in politics where a guy has to defend himself. The the accusation is you never stabbed a guy. Yeah, I stabbed a guy. And then the other part of it, he's being criticized for claiming that he was offered entry into West Point and did not accept it. And he's being pilloried for making that claim. Again, when you think about it, a guy is being criticized for not being honest about not going to West Point. Wouldn't you think, at least in the Republican primary, the better position would be to say, yeah, I was never offered entry into West Point. How could I turn my back on West Point? But here's the two things that annoy me about all of this. And it's mostly a media criticism. First of all, of these two lies, exaggerations, inaccuracies, you know, gilding the old resume, compared to the things he says that are just seen as sort of mainstream doctrinaire things, these are much, much, much better. The whole idea of we're going to have a 10% tithe tax instead of a tax tax or a flat tax that's like a tithe, please take me seriously on this, that is much worse than, oh yeah, I was offered entry into West Point. No, I wasn't. But the other thing is that the media thinks that this is how voters are going to change their minds. They thought that about Trump too. What's the one Trump statement that's going to trip him up? Was it her bloody wherever? Was it talking about, I like guys who weren't prisoners of war and John McCain? And with Carson, the media is thinking, well, which will be his misstatement? Which will be the one where the voters say, we can't trust him? So he does say, there's no global warming. I'm worried about the schedule of vaccines. And I have no idea how old the earth is. Sure, that's trustworthy. It's a statement about stabbing a guy that no one else seems to remember that's going to trip him up. He is not going to be tripped up by a statement. I believe this might hurt him a little bit. It's not a good week for Ben Carson. I believe gradually his appeal will decline or he'll come in first and second in Iowa, but it won't matter. But all the media does is look for gaffes and they keep assuming that candidates are going to gaff themselves out of the election. They will not gaff themselves out of the election. The electorate will just slowly turn away and say, yeah, maybe some other people were more serious. On the show today, I spiel about director Quentin Tarantino and what he has to say about the cops. But first, on to other ballot members, namely the acts and singers who might get elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And now a word from our sponsor, SAP. SAP HANA helps the world's best companies get the answers they need to become more agile, develop new streams of revenue, predict the future, and reimagine the way they do business. Run SAP, run simple. Visit sap.com slash SAPHANA to learn more. 
Let's say I made a mixtape for you or, uh, you know, programmed your uh, computerized playlist, as the kids call it, and I put these bands on it. The Cars, Chic, Chicago, Steve Miller, Los Lobos, Janet Jackson, NWA, The Spinners, yes. You would say, Mike, eclectic bordering on schizophrenic, but I would say, no, these are all famous acts. The question is, are they Hall of Famous? Because these are the 20, some of the 2016 nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Joining me now is Chris Malamphy, who writes the Why Is This Song Number One column for Slate. He comes in here and we tick down the top songs of a year, but he's also very authoritative on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And welcome, Chris. Thanks You're, for coming in. Thank you, Mike. So I want to I go over how groups get in the Hall of Fame and then some of these groups specifically. And then I want to ask maybe one bigger question about what the hell does the Hall of Fame mean or what's the purpose? But let's let's talk about the process. Okay, if you are not Chuck Berry, if you are not Elvis Presley, right? If you are not one of these guys who, where you say, well, we can't have a Hall of Fame without them, you, there is a ballot, people are asked to vote, who are these people and how is the vote conducted? Well, the induction process for the Hall of Fame happens basically in two stages, and th this is the way you need to think about it. There is a what I call a shortlist every year, and the shortlist actually is somewhat long. It's about 15 bands typically in, in, a, in an annual shortlist, and that's announced in the fall. And that shortlist is put together by a nominating committee, capital N, capital C. And this is where you tend to see uh, the most conspiracy theories, because, mm -hmm. you know, even though the members of the nominating committee have been revealed on numerous occasions and it's not actually that deep, dark and secret. It does feel like a cabal or a star chamber. They're the ones who determine who is Hall eligible in the first place. And as long as we're talking about the rules, one number to keep in mind is the number 25. A an act uh, has to have released a recording that can be a single or an EP, but they have to have released a recording at least 25 years ago before they become eligible. Now the Hall can induct someone who released an album as recently as 1990. That is correct. Seems to me recently. Yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So that's the nominating committee process, and they're only going to induct about five, six, some years they fudge it and make it a little larger. But five or six is pretty typical. That's performers, by the way. There's mm -hmm. whole other categories for uh, early influences, the so-called musical excellence right. category, which is basically one that the nominating committee does by fiat, but the one that everybody cares about, the one that P gets the headlines. Pioneers of Paola, for instance. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the one that everybody cares about the most are the performers. Right. That Those are the headline acts. That's when the shortlist is thrown to the voters. Now, the voters, they number in the hundreds. Currently, the uh, number of voters is reportedly about 800, although I've heard that that number is going higher. But it, let's say it's still under 1,000. These include everybody who's ever been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So if you can picture it, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith gets a back. Ballot. Uh, you know, Dave Grohl gets a ballot. Anybody, Linda Ronstadt gets a ballot. But also, there are a number of critics who get ballots. Uh, there are, you know, uh, industry luminaries who get ballots. You know, uh, before he died, Ahmet Erdogan, the founder of Atlantic Records, had a ballot. Mm -hmm. Clive Davis gets a ballot. You know, a few hundred people actually get to vote on this thing. And they are the ones who, out of that list of 15, get to narrow it down to about five or six. There's one last wrinkle that has been added to the process just in the last three years and which I argue gets too much attention, which is the so-called fan vote. Amazing power, power to the people. Power to the people, here's the problem. This thing gets a lot of attention and it has gotten millions of votes, but 
all of those votes, those millions and millions of votes, are aggregated into one single ballot. So if you picture it, they send out about 800 ballots. They probably only get a fraction of those back because who knows what Steven Tyler is doing with himself. But let's say they get back, I'm making this number up, two or 300. The ballot from the millions of fans counts as one more in the pile. It's not nothing. But it is pretty infinitesimal in terms of right. the impact on the final induction process. And so yet, to, to give it to give it perspective, millions of people equal Getty Lee, one of the members of Rush who has a ballot. There's this widespread belief that two critic unfriendly bands, Kiss and Rush, got in because of the fans. And I would frankly like to call bullshit on that. But there's I think there are a couple things going on. One of the questions, and this must annoy everyone, you know, a lot of these acts aren't rock and roll. So that doesn't mean they're not unbelievably important musically. Does that hurt them? Does that hurt a group like Chic? It absolutely hurts a group like Chic. Because they're of all the groups, I think that music cognoscenti would say they're the most unbelievably important of all the groups I mentioned. Chicago's a great group. Deep Purple's great. But Chic, the ripples from what they've done are just pronounced and felt today. But Chic, as long as we're talking about them, have been on the ballot 10 times. That is a record. The nominating committee keeps putting them up year after year. Literally, they've been up something like every year for the last four or five. You are right to bring up the, quote, perception of rock and roll. I mean, the the biggest albatross, arguably, around the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's neck is, is its name. It really probably should be called the late 20th century popular music Hall of Fame, but that's just not pithy. One argument I often make to people about this whole but they're not rock and roll is that the very first induction class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they launched in the mid-80s, and the first induction class was in, I believe, 1986. It included James Brown. It included the Everly Brothers. James Brown's the godfather of soul. The Everly Brothers, they're known for country records as much as they're known for, for their rock and roll records. Rock and roll has never had clear boundaries. Not at your imagined peak, not at the start, never. So, you know, the idea that... Any of these later groups, whether it's ABBA, who got inducted right away, or Donna Summer, who had to be nominated five times and actually died before she was finally inducted. These people are clearly all of a piece with the mongrel form that is rock and roll. Rock and roll was a hybrid from its very inception. So there's this hidebound sense that rock and roll equals bunch of guys, preferably white guys, holding guitars. And that's just never been true. Now, I don't know that too many artists on the list now. Let's just talk about a couple of them, ones I have strong feelings about. Sure. Like, Smiths are not someone or some people that I listen to, but for what their genre of music is, they're the most important, aren't they? Or among the most important, and it's an important genre of music. If I could vote, I would absolutely be voting for the Smiths. The Smiths are a little bit personal for me because I loved them when I was in high school and college. You know, were you mopey? Were you a mopey kid? Uh, you know, I could I could be a little emo, okay. and uh, you know, they they were an '80s act. That's a prime time for me, and uh, I really you know loved the Smiths, loved Morrissey. I'll 
guarantee you, and I would love to be wrong about this, the Smiths will probably not get in. This is their second nomination, and I think it's going to take at least a third and a fourth and a fifth before, like the Velvet Underground, people wake up and realize that they deserve to be in. What's the case for Janet Jackson and Shaka Khan? I have heard tell that Janet Jackson is on the the ballot this year because uh, Questlove, Amir Thompson of The Roots, is on the nominating committee now. And he made a very compelling case for why she should be on there. Um, I absolutely think she should be on there. She, in the 80s and 90s, stepped out of the shadow of her brother, Michael, and was a total pop innovator uh, with, you know, all those records she did with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Janet, of all people, actually stands a pretty good shot of getting in this year because uh, she just released an album, like, literally the same week that the uh, nominations were announced this year, uh, a new album called Unbreakable. It debuted very well in the album chart. More importantly, it was critically acclaimed. Everybody said it's like her best album since at least the 90s, maybe even the 80s. Uh, Shaka Khan probably should have been nominated quite a ways earlier. She's a little bit like what you just talked about before with uh, Nile Rodgers, somebody who has actually worked with Steve Winwood on his Higher Love single or, you know, Quincy Jones, you know, name name your luminaries. Shaka Khan has worked with them. I would not be surprised if she didn't get in, but I'd love love to be wrong about now, that. Now, a guy like Steve Miller, and it's a guy, it's not the Steve Miller band. Right. I would not vote for him. Little I don't healthy. like him. I think his lyrics are crap, too. Yeah, I mean, right. Really love your but peaches. But time keeps on slipping your... into the future, Mike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. This is always a a yin and a yang in the argument, because some fans uh, of an act will say, how can you ignore X? X sold Y million records. And in theory, that shouldn't matter at all. The the famous quote about the Velvet Underground is they only sold 30,000 records, but everybody who bought the record went out and formed a band, right? So that should not matter. On the other hand, yeah, you're absolutely right. At a certain point, if an act sold enough copies, like Kiss... I'm not a fan of Kiss, but I could see the argument Tom Morello made that, you know, I didn't start with Chuck Berry. I started with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. That's where my, you know, starting line for learning how to play guitar and be a rock and roller, that's where it began. So, you know, this this is a difficult question, the sales question, because it's not supposed to factor in, but of course it factors in. Oh, by that logic, Pez would be inducted into the Food Hall of Fame. Right. NWA is, I, I, you know, I don't know. Do you think they're going to get in? How could they not get in? Gangster rap, unbelievably important. NWA have now been nominated more than any other rap act. They've been nominated four times each of the last four years. So it's pretty clear the nominating committee wants them in. I would say that this year in particular, there has never been a better time for NWA to get in, given that Straight Outta Compton, the movie, came out this summer. It made buttloads of money more than a music biopic normally makes. I mean, this thing cleared 100 million. Music biopics, even the good ones, never clear that much. And 
it kind of created a hagiographic hey backstory for NWA that they are like rebel pioneers, totally put them in the lineage of great rockers. And I would not be surprised if that seduces a few people to vote for them. But it's a tough ballot. There are a lot of eligibles on here. NWA could get passed over yet again. Who knows? Should it be a party where every year you know you're going to say, hey, we got to pick five. There's so many great musical groups. Let's just have a party and pick five groups that we love. Or should it be nose in the air? Deep Purple, they're not as good as the people who are in here already. Los Lobos, I don't see how they stand up to the Everly Brothers. What's the smarter way or the more ethical way to do it? One thing I pointed out in my article this year about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a little bit like our federal government in the sense that it is an utterly imperfect institution that is horrible, uh, except as Winston Churchill might say, except for all the other systems. Like, there is no way that you could structure this thing that you know, you wouldn't frustrate somebody. For starters, there are more eligible acts that could ever fit through that window of five to seven acts a year that they're inducting. Literally the number of acts, and it's only growing every year. So you have a numerical problem for starters. And then you have this whole problem about the slippery definition of rock and roll and what is considered rock enough for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's the problem of the nominating committee can nominate a band like Chic 10 times, but you can't lead that horse to water. You can't Mm -hmm. force the voters to vote for them. Chris Malamphy, he breaks down the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Just did, in fact. He also writes the Why Is This Song number one column for Slate. That was great. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Anytime, Mike. If you're an investor, you'll want to diversify. And if you want to diversify, real estate's a good way to do it. So look no further than RealtyShares.com at RealtyShares.com slash gist. RealtyShares is an online real estate investment marketplace that allows accredited investors to invest as little as $1,000 per transaction in residential and commercial real estate projects across the U.S. Thousands of investors use the platform to invest in real estate deals that are sourced and vetted by experienced investment professionals. You can browse and invest in minutes, all from your computer. Go to RealtyShares.com gist to create your free account today. And now the spiel, the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides. So Quentin Tarantino spewed something other than blood, profanity, and artistry recently. To hear CBS morning show anchor Nora O'Donnell tell it, he spewed some inflammatory language. We are hearing from movie director Quentin Tarantino for the first time in public following his controversial comments on police. Controversial comments. He called some cops murderers. So if you haven't heard what Quentin Tarantino actually said at that rally in late October, here it is. And when I see murder, I cannot stand by. And I have to call the murdered the murdered, and I have to call the murderers the murderers. 
And those were his comments. Those were almost all his comments. He said like two other sentences. First, I'm, I want to give my time to the families. There were families of unarmed people shot by police at that rally. And then he said, people ask why I'm here. I'm here because I'm a man of conscience. And then we played you the rest of what he said. So did he call some cops murderers? Yeah. Cops like ex-South Carolina officer Michael Slager, who was on trial for the murder of unarmed Walter Scott. Cops like Cincinnati cop Ray Tenzing, who is on trial charged with murder in the killing of Sam DuBose. I'm sure Quentin Tarantino meant some other cops who were in charge in later interviews. He talked about the shooters of that boy from Cleveland, Tamir Rice, for example. So the police unions who speak for police in the same way that Donald Trump speaks for middle America often with the same deafness, the the police unions are calling for a boycott of Quentin Tarantino's new movie. But for the media to portray his comments as controversial or inflammatory, I think it's either lazy or opportunistic. I, by the way, disagree a little bit with some of what Tarantino says, I think. I don't even know from those comments exactly which cops that he meant were murderers. So if he's talking about Darren Wilson in Ferguson, I wouldn't call him a murderer. I mean, he might have been charged with unjustified killing, but I read all the documents. I saw that there was also a path to reasonable doubt. But it doesn't matter because anyone who's ever attended a rally concerned with police shootings, concerned with police killings of unarmed men, what they're all saying implicitly and every once in a while explicitly is that these people who shoot the unarmed without reason are, of course, murderers. That is definitional to the complaint. To be surprised that that statement is what the protesters believe, indeed what the protesters are saying, is to be surprised that anti-fracking demonstrators are against extracting gas through the use of water, sand, and chemicals pumped into the ground. Wait, that's what you're against? Yes, that is what anti-fracking means. Okay, I understand that you're a pro-life activist standing outside this clinic, but to argue that a pregnant woman should not be allowed to terminate her pregnancy via abortion? Well, that's just, that's just a bit too far. Yes, that's what those stances mean. Now, opportunistic politicians heaped condemnation on the director. Here's Chris Christie on Fox and Friends. He's being questioned by host Steve Ducey, who misstates two facts in his first sentence. Quentin, uh, Quentin Tarantino last week came out and called cops murderers. And now it sounds like he's going to apologize. But there have been uh, boycotts called by all sorts of professional police organizations to say, don't go to his movies, don't help him on security, don't, you know, just don't budge. This guy's... And listen, if he's going to apologize, it's too late. It's just too late because he has a history of this stuff. So the fact is we should be standing behind the people who protect us every day. Now, listen, if there's a bad cop who does something wrong, they deserve to be prosecuted. And I prosecuted uh, bad police officers when I was U.S. attorney. And that's exactly what Quentin Tarantino is saying. Prosecute bad cops. As for what Quentin Tarantino is not saying, let's go to the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. Here's Congressman Ted Poe. I quote the Texan. Nevermore. He referred to peace officers as murderers. His hateful rhetoric called for violence against law enforcement, saying, I have have to call a murderer a murderer, and I have to call a murderer a murderer. No, he didn't say that. So here we have a modern media controversy. A prominent person articulates a commonly held and not unreasonable set of beliefs. A powerful group takes umbrage at those beliefs. Politicians align themselves for or against the belief in order to maximize political gain. And the media, not all the media, 
I want to say the Today Show did a decent job, but a lot of the media is only too happy to know that two sides are fighting and call it controversial, throwing words like director and boycott and man, you've got a story. Forget context. Sometimes there's context. Some media did well. Chris Hayes had Quentin Tarantino on for 12 minutes. That was a good interview. It was tighter and more articulate than Django and without quite so many outbursts. If you want to hear Quentin Tarantino explaining himself in full, I commend you to that. If you want to hear some nonsense on the other side, let's quote Jim Pascoe, executive director of the Fraternal Order of Police. It's the largest police union. It is more than 330,000 full-time officers. He said to The Hollywood Reporter, Tarantino has made a good living out of violence and surprise. Our officers make a living trying to stop violence, but surprise is not out of the question. Unlike it was unclear what kind of surprise Pascoe was hinting that Tarantino could expect. And unlike Tarantino's rhetoric, which was defensible, though pointed, that threat is beyond the pale, but most likely hot air. And that's it for today's show. Producer Andrea Salenzi asks you not to boycott her new gore-splattered podcast about pork farmers, The Swineful Nine. Executive producer Andy Bowers is not the driving force behind the boycott of the new Panoply podcast hosted by Billy Joel and five of his high school friends, the Hicksville Six. Facebook.com slash Slate Gist. That's our Facebook page. We're actually the ones who greenlit Andrea's new pig podcast. Me and my eight friends, we got a little drunk on Merlot. We said okay to the weird pig podcast. You can see a film about that whole process. It's called The Wineful Nine, and it's being boycotted at a theater near you. Also, boycotted out on DVD and Blu-ray. And starting in a month, all new episodes. Boycott them on Vimeo or boycott Hulu Plus for a small fee. You will also want to boycott that fee. Um peru de peru du peru, and thanks for listening.